Well, I don't know what you've come to do, but I've come to praise the Lord. Amen? Um, God is good, and it's a new day. Let's uh, stand up and open up with a song called, I Will Enter His Gates. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Amen. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for a new day. Lord, thank you for a place and a time to gather together and to worship you, God. Lord, thank you uh, for your love for us and your mercies that are new every morning. And um, Lord, I just pray that this morning that uh, we would be drawn to you. And Lord, that um, Lord, we would see Jesus in uh, the songs we sing, Lord, in the, the words that we hear, God, in our fellowship with each other, God, that we would just um, see your glory and uh, just give you all the praise and thanks. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here this morning. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts and our lives. Um, Lord, thank you that it's never about us, but Lord, it's always about you. And um, we just worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you need the Lord? Anyone? I see a few hands. Some of you are all right without him, huh? No, I'm just kidding. No, we all need the Lord. Um, let's sing that song together. Lord, I need you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need Sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free, holiness is Christ in me. Oh, 
Amen. Psalms 105, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. That's what we're here to do this morning, is to make his deeds known among the people. To sing to him, to sing praises to him, and to speak of his wonders. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. It's such a, a key thing to always remember what the Lord has done and to recognize how much we need him every day and every hour.
thank you that you are here. Lord, uh, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord Jesus. And God, we just want to lift you high this morning and praise you for what you've done in Jesus' name. All right, you can be seated and I'd like to open it up. Uh, If you have a testimony or something to share that the Lord's been doing in your life or a prayer request, feel free to speak out. say one time that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so he either was true or else he's the biggest liar history has ever known. And we all know that he, it's true. His word is true. And uh, we're thankful for that. Thanks, John, for sharing that. Sanctifying us. 
could understand your ways, reigning high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and
Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and God, we lift up Alma and her uh, friend who's traveling to Texas. Lord, keep them safe, be with them, and, and just surround them. I pray that, uh, Lord, that um, it wouldn't just be just another trip, but, Lord, that that they would just be blessed and drawn to you and be able to be a blessing where they go. And, and Lord, we lift up um, the others, Lord, who are not feeling well or, or sick or not able to be here, pray for, um, Lord, the ones that uh, were requested this morning. Lord, I just pray that, that, Lord, you would reach out, Lord, in your sovereign grace and draw them to you, Lord. Um, Lord, you made us to worship you. You made us to live in fellowship with you. And when that's missing, life is just empty. And... Um, Lord, I just pray that you would break through the chains, Lord, or the walls, or whatever it is, the strongholds from the enemy um, that keep people in bondage to sin and selfishness. Lord, that they would uh, be free, and that, Lord, they would see that there's freedom in Christ, and that we can function as you created us to, Lord, um, when we're free. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, your Holy Spirit, thank you that you never give up on us, Lord. There's no human being that's too far or gone too far for you to reach them and draw them to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would reach out in Jesus' name.
strong and mighty tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nation sing it louder cause nothing has the power to say cause nothing has the power to say Nothing has the power to save but the name of Jesus. Amen? It's so true. And to think of what you shared earlier, John, and my dad, the same story. He was living in religion and, and uh, works, and just he, he would go to bed at night and, and just shiver and be all scared. He didn't know where he'd go if he would die. He just didn't know. And he's hoping his good deeds outweighed his bad. And... Uh, and he came to the realization that it's only through Jesus' blood on the cross. It's only through him and believing in that. Um, you can have your sins washed away and be forgiven, be made new in Christ. That's so good. Let's all stand up and sing one more song.
that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory Amen. Amen You can be seated and I'll turn the time over Actually before we do that though we don't have, uh, Carrie's not here to lead children's songs this morning and I just had an idea does anyone have a song that's on your heart this morning you'd like to sing? Maybe we'll take a minute or two. Uh, if not, that's fine too. I just felt like uh, if there was anyone that had a song um, you'd like to sing, we could. But <laughs> yeah, Oh, I can do that. Wanna, shall we have the kids come up? I can, I can lead them. Want to come on up? One up, Kaden and Jerry and Tiffy. And Milo, yes, here. Let's come to this side. I don't think I don't think you have any more slack.
you have to compete to see if there's a part that goes higher and higher, lift the Jesus higher and higher, and then lower and lower, and you have to see who can get the lowest down to the floor. Thank you, Jason, for that. Jason and Laurie, thank you for leading our worship time. That was a blessing. So, uh, yeah, it's good to have you all here this morning. A little bit of a smaller group since we have some traveling and some sick and uh, various other things. So, uh, but, you know, that, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't make a difference to the Lord and and the giving of His Spirit, you know, I had to I had to think of uh, one of the well-known churches, early churches in the New Testament. Just uh, started out by a few a few women meeting alongside the river. So, never underestimate what the Lord can do. I like to 
take a little bit of time here since uh, we have some time yet to uh, spend a bit more time in prayer on a few things. Um, said there are uh, some sick. I would like if we could take the time to... Oh, there's John. John, get in here. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> um, John and Maggie's baby was in the hospital, I'm assuming still is, with a, with a fever. And Can you tell me a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your son? How can we pray for him, John? It's okay to cry. Thank you, John. Yeah. <clears throat> My two oldest both spent some time in the NICU and definitely gave me a few more gray hair. So I know your feeling, although I don't think you'll know if you get gray hair from it. Um, but, you know, uh, Scripture says that our Father in Heaven pays attention when a sparrow falls to the Son is worth far more than a sparrow. Take, <clears throat> take some time to pray for him. Bill, do you want to lead out?
Lord Jesus, be exalted, be glorified. You have told us to join the Lord. Oh, as I... This morning, uh, getting some exercise and meditating, I felt the Lord reminding me, pressing on my mind again, the spiritual battle that is going on behind the scenes that, that we can't see. It seems like things are just really ramping up and, and scriptures clear that in the end time that, that does happen that will happen as time goes on there is a strong fight from the forces of good and the forces of evil for the souls of men now we know who wins in the end we know that but I believe we see that battle ramping up more and more all over the world. And obviously we're here in, in this country and we see the things that are happening politically and, and otherwise. And I just believe that there's so much behind the things that we see happening in the news each day than just politics and that kind of thing. I believe there's a real spiritual battle going on and I believe we're going to continue to see more of that. I was drawn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul tells Timothy, I exhort therefore first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus now, it's interesting if, if you've studied biblical history at all, what was happening in politics and in the rulers at the time when Paul wrote in First uh, Timothy here. He's getting pretty near the end of his life. Does anyone know who the emperor was at that time? Anyone have any idea who the emperor was? They were they were being uh, ruled under the under the Roman Empire. Anyone have any idea who this person was that that was the king, the emperor? Anyone? Nero. What did Nero do? Probably just a couple years later, if that. I'm not sure of the exact timeline. He ordered Paul's death. So Paul's writing this, and in his personal experience, he's referring to Nero. 
the man that's going to order him beheaded. He says to pray and give intercession and to give thanks. How many of us could give thanks for somebody that's about to order us to be beheaded? That would be pretty hard. So this wasn't necessarily an easy thing for, for Paul to write, but very much the truth. But what was the reason for it? That we may lead quiet and peaceable lives? Paul sure didn't have a very quiet and peaceable life. But the bigger thing was so that all men could be saved because that is what end game is. That is what he says is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. His will is that all men will be saved and quite frequently God uses well all the time actually God uses the kingdoms of this world to bring out his plan. And to me, that gives me so much confidence in days of, of unrest and, and these things. To understand that God is in control. Now, I don't know how many of you pay that much attention to news or politics or that kind of thing. And I'm not here to give any kind of a political uh, statement or political lesson. But... Uh, Several days ago, one of the Supreme Court justices passed away. And in this country, that uh, is a huge, huge issue in the direction of the country in, in allowing us freedoms and interpretation of laws and, and that kind of thing. It says we're, we're to pray that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. And I think this is a great time to do that because there is some of that that hangs in the balance, and, and I believe that there's such a spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes, and I, I believe we're going to, you know, barring God's staying hand on this situation, that it's, all, it's likely that we'll see more civil unrest in the days to come than what we have seen so far in 2020. I don't say that to, to scare you, but to remind you that in spite of that, God is in control. Our duty is to pray that we can live quiet and peaceable lives and that this spiritual battle that's going on for the souls of men would be effective in leading more souls to Christ. That is the ultimate goal. So I'd like to spend some time praying for that, praying for the leaders of our land, whether, whether you agree with their politics and decisions and governing. That makes no difference. Paul certainly didn't agree with Nero and the orders he gave to kill him. Still praying for him. But let's, some, let's spend some time doing that this morning that God would have his way with the leaders of our land, that he would allow us to live peaceable lives and that his will would be accomplished in bringing souls to Christ.
Father, I thank you for the many things that you have given to us, freedoms that you have given to us, especially in this country. So many times we take them for granted. But Lord, you have told us to to pray for our leaders, to thank you for them, and to intercede for them. And we want to do that this morning, Father, that your will would be done in their lives, that you would lead each one of our leaders from the president on down, no matter of political a party or, or affiliation, that your hand would be on them. Father, that you would direct this spiritual battle that is going on behind the scenes and that it would, through whatever the outcome is politically, no matter what that may be, that you would be honored and glorified and ultimately that it would lead more souls to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that in the days to come, in all the potential things that could happen, the unrest, Father, I just pray for a peace, especially among your people, that we would not be swept away by fear and and all these things, Father, but that we would keep our eyes on you no matter what may happen, knowing that the side of good will win in the end, no matter what may happen between now and then, you are in control. So I pray for these things, Father, that you would have your hand on this nation, on our leaders, that we could live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty, and that your church would grow, and that your name would be glorified. I thank you and praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any other announcements or anything that need to be made? As usual, we have lunch following the... Uh, service, so please stay for that. I don't think we have any midweek services this week, do we? And then next Sunday evening already is the uh, His Little Feet Kids Choir. We're getting a lot of feedback online from that. Seems to be a lot of interest, so come and, and join in that. It'll be an outdoor event. We set up out here. Bring your lawn chairs, invite your friends, neighbors, the church down the street, whoever you see, it will be a, uh, a blessed time with uh, the kids' choir. It's uh, an international kids' choir, so uh, come join in that at 7 p.m. We'll have food trucks and that type of thing out here in the parking lot. I believe that we'll be arriving at 6, so come early and eat your dinner and, and enjoy a, a great evening outdoors. That is next Sunday the 27th. Anything else that needs to be announced or anything anyone wants to share yet? If not, over to Phil. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Anthony, for leading us in prayer. My mind went to James chapter 5, verse 16, where he tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I have some notes that I put together for what I'd like to share with you today, and you can just pass these back along 
Each one can take a copy if you like. You should have plenty of them. Sometimes it's helpful when we do a study of the Word of God together for you to... um, Actually, I'm going to take a copy myself too. Um, For us to do it together. There you go, Anthony can pass them out. Our text is the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And I like to begin reading in verse 1 and read to verse 38. And I thought we would do something a little different this morning, but we would take turns to each read a verse. Anyone who is willing to or can read, um, you can take turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading. There you go. Thank you. Um, Ethan, put it up on the screen as well. It'll help you follow along. And we'll read down through verse 38. And in this story, Jesus is revealed to us in numerous different ways. But I would like to present to you this morning to focus in on Four different aspects of Jesus' example and teaching. When you put Jesus' words into the example of his life, it illustrates the truth of what he's speaking to us about. Jesus was not only a teacher from heaven to tell us about the God's the things of God and the kingdom of God in its ways, he lived it. He lived it out as a perfect example or illustration of the truth he was teaching us. This is really important for you and I to understand, to see the example of Jesus living out his words while we listen or read his instructive truth. If you don't see, you don't understand. You only get to hear, but you won't understand the truth lived out. And guess what happens when you don't understand? You don't follow. You don't get to live it. You hear about it. You might marvel at the truth, but if you don't see the example of the truth Jesus is teaching, you won't be inspired to follow Jesus in your life. That same example of truth you and I can get to live. When we see Jesus live it, then we're able to follow him, his example. Very important, dear brother, sister. When you read the truth of Jesus' words, look for the example. Look intently for the example of his life. Or else you'll miss the understanding. You'll miss the life example. And you'll miss the truth pretty much completely in your own life. So... That being said, 
John chapter 4, verse 1. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Jason, if you don't mind, you can read verse 2. And so we'll just go through the room and we'll each read a verse. If you don't feel like reading, no pressure. Just tell the next person to read. And we'll read down through verse 38. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Verse 19, Michael. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jew.
Verse 37. Tim? Very good. So, to set this in context, I want you to notice that this chapter begins with a competitive edge. Jesus, beginning his ministry in Galilee, his hometown, comes to Jerusalem, where John has been exercising his ministry for many years. We don't know how many years John lived. But I suppose it was quite, maybe three, maybe four, I don't know, years. And John had an effective ministry, very effective. Even the Roman soldiers were coming and asking John what they should do. And John was giving them instruction of repentance and the kingdom of God. So God in his sovereignty was bringing about a new kingdom on the earth. Called the kingdom of God. John began his ministry with those words. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. The only way you and I can enter into this kingdom of God. That now has come to earth. Is through repenting from the way we're living our lives. From changing it up. Completely. Dealing first of all with our hearts. Our attitudes. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's out of the heart that these things come out. I think it's Mark chapter 7, actually. You may turn your Bibles with me there just to verify that so you can read it. It is in Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus says to the multitude, listen to me, all of you, and understand For there is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Now they lived in a culture where the Jews had many instructions as to how to eat clean food in a clean way. It was very important. Pots and pans were washed in just a certain way. And they could only eat certain foods which were deemed clean. And all the others were unclean. You don't touch them. You never eat them in all your life. This was a very important part of their service to God. Jesus said, it doesn't matter what you eat. Whether the food is clean or unclean. Or whether the pot is clean or unclean. Now in the kingdom of God, that is Almost irrelevant. It's temporal. It will only last as long as your body lives here on the earth. But the kingdom of God is here which is eternal. And now we're dealing with eternity. The soul of man which will never die. And what comes out of that mouth are words which will judge your life by. Every word that a man speaks. Jesus said in another place. He must give an account of. And it's what comes out that defiles you in the kingdom of God, not what goes into the mouth. Change of rules here, friends, multitude. The kingdom of God is here. It's very different than the life you've lived before. Now what God cares about is the inner man, which will live for all eternity. 
Much more emphasis is there than the outer flesh which is only temporal. And this change is still very relevant. It matters to you and me today. We live in a world that is outward bodily focused. It's fleshly. We do many things to satisfy our body. We even come to God with service in much of the same way that the Jews did back then. We care about clean dishes and pots and pans. We care about clean clothes. We care about how our hair are combed when we go to church. We care whether we're shaved or we don't. We, we have a lot of emphasis on the clothes we wear and how we smell. And Jesus doesn't care. How you smelled when you walked in here this morning. But he does care. How your inner person smelled. Your soul which will never die. He cares whether that is filthy or clean. And depending what you spoke this week. Made it filthy or clean. The attitudes that came out of your heart. And guided your eyes, depending what you looked at, made you filthy or clean. The music you heard made you filthy or clean. The words you spoke made you filthy or clean. The attitude of your heart towards others or towards God made you filthy or clean. Must you repent this morning to enter his kingdom? A clean, holy person? I must, I must, because my flesh is still very corrupt and it loves to be a part of this world and deal with the things of this world. And so I must put off the flesh with its deeds, corruptness like it tells us in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5, put off the old man with his deeds, put off the flesh and put on the new man which is renewed in the image of him who created him. I must put off these thoughts as it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Take every thought captive and bring it under the obedience of Jesus Christ and to his word. And let his thoughts begin to rule my life. I must begin to care what he cares for. And not care what he doesn't care about. That change transforms us into his image. Day after day. When you and I subject ourselves to that change. Jesus lived it here. In the middle of people who were outwardly minded, earthly minded, and looked on things as they were outwardly. And that's what we do. That's what gets us excited. Outside of this, life is dull and boring. Wouldn't you agree? Is your life dull and boring without any competition? Can you guess what makes most of the world scream and yell and shout and do all kinds of crazy things and say all kinds of things and rivets our attention for hours every week. It's called competition. That's what it's called. Take that out of this whole world's life. 
what would we have left? Anything to do with our time? What would inspire us? Anything? What would get us excited? Anything? What would motivate you? Is there anything left to inspire, to motivate you, to get you excited, to get you talking, to get you listening, to get you riveted your whole attention to? Take competition out of your life and you are flat as a flat tire. You don't go anywhere unless you have Jesus. He then is the only person who can inspire you, who can rivet your fascination upon Him, who can attract you to His character, who can cause you to listen and look for hours, who can cause your mouth to speak amazing truth, who can cause your ears to hear wondrous things from the kingdom of God. Oh, dear brother, sister, I believe we Christians in our modern world have minimized on our life as some people do on the computer screen. You know, you can have your whole screen filled with something and you can be looking at it and all you have to do with a click of a mouse down in the corner, minimize it. So that you barely see it at all. It's simply not there anymore. And that's what we've done with this sin. Who might say, are you crazy, Phil? That's a strong word. Competitiveness is sin. I submit to you, my dear brother, sister, that anything outside of Jesus' example and his teachings of the word of God is sin for me. It becomes earthly, sensual, and fleshly. And it subjects my inner man to it. It rules my thought life, my emotions. It fascinates me with time and attention. It rules my tongue. It rules my energy. Yes, it becomes my king. It becomes my idol. It distracts me from Jesus being the one person, the one who deeply impacts, affects, and guides my life. Jesus understood this. And when he heard in verse 1 and verse 2 that people were becoming subject to this Jesus versus John in their life, Jesus does something impactful. He just leaves. That's it. He just disappears. He goes home. He walks away. Have you done that lately in your life? Have you walked away from competition lately? Or haven't you even seen that in Jesus? Or found it necessary to follow him like that? You see, I think, I know that for many years in my life, I didn't see competition as sin. 
I've read this story since I was a child. But one day the Lord began to open my eyes and see Jesus illustrating a truth that I'm going to show you. And if you follow through your notes in the word of God, I just put a few. There are many, many scripture verses that substantiate and back up Jesus' example that this is the truth. This is the way. This is the life. If you will follow him in this way of your thought life, in your attitude, in your words, and when your very life of example, you will receive eternal life. You'll live it on the earth as Jesus did. I want to illustrate this to you. Would someone open this kitchen door for me, please? And as you do that, thank you, Chuck. I've seen something new here that I hadn't really seen before. Verse 1 through verse 6 and verse 35 through verse 38 come together. And all of a sudden the Lord brought this truth together like a sandwich to me. You know how we make a sandwich? We put a piece of bread down first. We put stuff on it like mayo and butter and mustard and ketchup and any kind of dressings you like. And then last we top it off with another piece of bread. And that makes for a very delicious meal. If you don't believe that sandwiches are good, just go look out into the world at the hundreds of thousands of restaurants that serve sandwiches. We love sandwiches. That's what we do. We people love them. What? <laughs> That's your favorite. Ham, cheese, and mayonnaise with two pieces of bread. I would like to give you this sandwich today. Sometimes when a truth is put together just like that, you have bread, you have other ingredients, and you put a piece of bread on, it becomes a very delicious meal. And many times the Lord presents truth to us in a sandwich. He puts it together so that it really tastes good for our spirits. It nourishes our inner man. It's a good meal. I want to show you this good meal. Jesus lived and was teaching what his example of was. He was here teaching the word of God. There was competition going on between him and John, not from John and Jesus. Other people were talking, were competing the two. And these two ministries became competitive forces in people's lives. I suppose that all of a sudden people had to decide in Jerusalem, were they going to go today to Jesus' camp or were they going to go to John's camp? And it was becoming a conflict. Perhaps many wanted to go with Jesus, but John had been there first. It was something that was stable in their life. They had become John's disciples. Were they now going to let John down and go over to Jesus? And, you know, this... It, there was this conflict in their hearts over these two competing ministries. The sin, the thing that Jesus seen coming, and the thing that he avoided and still will in you and I's life, was the distraction it brought to people. It distracted them from the kingdom of God, which is the treasure. The kingdom of God, and you'll see in your notes I have here, I'm not going systematically through the notes, as you notice. That's why I put them together that way for you, so you can do that. But you'll notice here 
The kingdom of God is the treasure. Matthew 13, verse 44 and verse 46. There. The kingdom of God is the treasure. That's the one important thing that we talked about. Remember? The kingdom of God was coming. Men were living on the kingdom of earth. They were living fleshly, carnal, outwardly focused lives. The kingdom of God came to deal with the inner man and change our inner man. Give us new values to live by. Give us a new focus. Give us new passions. Give us new everything to care about. To pursue in life. And it still does. But Jesus seen this as the, the, the human fleshly thing that would distract hundreds if not multitudes. Yes, multitudes of people from the kingdom of God. John and Jesus preached the same message. Repent The kingdom of God is here. What John was presenting, was encouraging people to do, was the very same thing Jesus came to do. The message was one. The goal was one. The treasure was one. The kingdom of God is the treasure. You and I need to understand and value. And as Matthew chapter 13 verse 43 through 46, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. And when one gets the reality, hears and sees the value, it is so valuable, changes his whole life. He sells everything. Not just a few surplus items. He doesn't just have a yard sale, brothers and sisters. He sells everything he owns and goes and buys that field because of the treasure. Have you done that? Do you understand what Jesus was teaching us? The value of the kingdom of God. Do you get it? How precious is it to you? How valuable is what John and Jesus were taken up with and gave their lives for? How valuable is it to you? When God looks down upon your inner man and the choices you make and the things you care about, what would heaven's estimate be? We fool ourselves and we put estimate values on things. But the truth is the value of something is only as valuable as what the person pays for it. You know it's true, right? We put things on the market and we love to overvalue things, right? Especially if I've got the money coming to me. Right, Michael? How much did you think your scooter was worth? It was worth $250 and we got it for $50. What is the kingdom of God worth to you? What value have you put upon it? See, so often in my mind, I value God's word with my mind. On the books, the pages of my mind, a certain value, very valuable in my mind. But I'm not willing to pay the money. That's the truth. I keep a lot of the money. I'm just like the proverb. 
Solomon said that the wicked man is like this. He sees something valuable and he says, no, 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 that's not worth much. Nay, nay, says the buyer. Nay, nay. We live in a world of nay, nays when you were buyers. We're all naysayers. It's not worth that much. Come on, give me a deal. But then once he has bought it, he goes away boasting. <laughs> I got a deal. I got that for a steal. Isn't that exactly what we do? That is not what we do with Jesus. What we do with Jesus is we say, his value is way up in heaven, but I'm down here on earth. I'm not willing to pay the heavenly price. I'm not willing to have the kingdom of God be like that in my life. Not like Jesus said that man is. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. Is it like that in your life? Or not? If not, may I suggest to you, dear brother, sister, to look at your life, to observe, to examine yourself and see whether you really be in the faith. This kind of faith that Jesus and these men and women talked about and lived their lives for. The kind of kingdom of God that John and Jesus were both presenting. Or is it this for you? Okay, I need some volunteers. The door is going to be open here. And here's what was going on. Um, could someone get, could you get me a pitcher of water? And just set it, no, let mom, no, you come here. You let mom put, put it there on the table for us, honey. You guys come here. Any of the kids want to come and join me in this competitive race? We're going to race. Okay, anybody want to join the race? Come on, big kids. <clears throat> We're going to race, guys. This is going to be epic. This is big. Okay. Okay, now, there's a, one rule on this race. You can go as fast as your legs can go, but your foot, your feet have to touch each other like this. We used to call it tiptoes. Tip to toe, tip to toe, tip to toe, the whole way across. Okay? No cheating. You have to tiptoe. But the race is on once the water is there. Now, Jesus in this context, hang on till the water comes. I want to set this context for you because in the middle of this sandwich, what is Jesus talking about? Jesus leaves Judea and he goes home, but what happens in between? What lied in between? The water is there. Someone answer me. Samaria was in between Judea and Galilee. And I wanted to put a map up there for you, but I'm not that, quite that computer savvy. I didn't get there. Judea here, Galilee up north, Samaria. Who were the Samaritans? Were they esteemed as wise people by the Jews? No, John shakes his head. What do you say, John? How did they think about them? Yes, they were worthless people. In the mind of the Jew, the Jews had no dealings, this woman said, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. They most certainly would not even take a cup of water from them. They wouldn't stop and talk to them. But Jesus gave her this. If you knew the gift of God, notice that on your notes. If you knew the gift of God in your life, are not the Judeans, and they may not be the Galileans where you grew up, they're the people in between that have the value. Do you value them as Jesus does?
The people you despised thought were worthless in your life. They didn't benefit you anything. You didn't give them much attention. You were ashamed of them. You didn't want to hang out, take water from them. But there, a woman and the whole village received eternal life from Jesus. Now, back to our race. Okay. Guys, we're all pursuing eternal life. Jesus said that if we really had realized the gift of God, he would give us living water and we'll never thirst again, guys. If you drink that water, you're never going to have to get thirsty again. You believe that? Well, we better race for that water, don't you think? One, two, three, go. Whoa, tiptoe, tiptoe. Milo, someone's holding on to me. What? Someone is hopping. Come on, Addie. Why are you so slow back there? Let's go. Let's go. Hustle. Milo got it. Milo won the race. By the way, what am I talking about? Can anyone tell me what I'm talking about? Or did I distract you with competitive racing? Were you thinking about Jesus while you were watching us run our race? Or were you watching each other, the different people and where we were? Gotcha. You see how competitive we are? I distracted you from what I'm really talking to you about. And that's exactly what was happening here. People were being distracted by people. People are very distracting to you and I. They're distracting so much so that people, people become bitter against God. They rebel against God. They walk away from the Bible. They won't go to church anymore because of what? People. They let people destroy their lives. They let other people change and govern their decisions. They let other people take them to hell. And you know what they say? When you ask them why they're making that decision, you know what they say? They're not even ashamed about it. They'll tell you, it's the people. It's the people. There was a king, the first king of Israel, called King Saul. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and throughout. You'll read this is how he lived. Someone once dubbed it the Saul syndrome. You know what a syndrome is? It's a disease. It's a way people act. It affects you. We call something a down syndrome. It's something that affects your body. It makes you look a certain way. It makes you act a certain way and talk a certain way. That seems different than what we call normal. Now, that's not true about Down syndrome. They're a gift from God, and everyone that God creates, He makes no mistakes. You're created uniquely and perfectly in God's image for God's glory. Don't let everyone, anyone ever make a difference in your life and tell you you're strange. Come back to your Creator and set your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And let's follow him to become like him in the example of our life. 
Not be distracted by people. Not be brought into conflict and turmoil in our Christian life by other people. It's because we don't see this competition man stuff is actually fleshly. It's actually carnal. It's as Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can turn your Bibles there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read this to you. It's very important in your life. Verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. This was the church. These were Christians. For you are still fleshly. You're still governed by your flesh, the desires of your heart, your mind, and this is what your flesh is. For since there is jealousy, that always comes through competition, by the way, the spirit of competitiveness brings jealousy. You want to be like that person who won. Aren't you jealous of him? Oh man, Milo, I'm jealous of you. You got it. I wanted it. Jealousy and strife. Which leads to strife. People hurting other people. Fighting. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? What was their competition? Look again. Verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul. And another says, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? You're just walking like the world. You're talking like the world. You're just... Is Christ even in you? What was the example that Jesus did? How did he live it out? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything but God who causes The growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. There's no competition. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. And there's no competition in the church of Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of God, there is no competitive spirit. Henceforth, because that spirit is put to death. That attitude, you and I crucify it daily in our lives and take our eyes off of others running this race. And we're only doing one thing. I'm not worried about Addy who's slow or Milo who's winning. I am looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm set on the pursuit of the living water. We're all thinking and pursuing the living water. And because Jesus did that, the truth of John chapter 4, verse 38, 35 through 38, became true in his life. Jesus said, don't say, there are yet four months and then comes harvest. Yesterday, we were coming home 
from Fort Collins, and we come down County Road 33, and farm fields for miles around. And guess what the farmers are doing? Harvesting the corn. Yep, you want to tell the story, Lukey? We've seen a harvester, a, a farmer. Was it? Yeah. Yep. He was smiling. He comes up driving this little gator up beside the road, and he was just all smiles. He was bringing in the harvest. Do you think he was just as happy when he sold that corn? I think so. I think he had the same attitude out there this spring, planting the corn. He must have been one happy farmer, planting all this corn. But obviously, planting and harvesting are two different experiences. Planting, you sow the seeds, and you see nothing for a long time, right? For a long time, you see nothing happen. And all of a sudden, there's a little blade of grass. Not very exciting stuff. Planting. Harvesting. Whoo! You see all the, you see the crops being come down. You see the kernels of the corn go in one place and the, and the other stuff in another place, the stalks and the silage, and, and you see the big pile of rewards of your labor. And you make it makes you smile. Do you understand that in your life, whether you're planting or harvesting. It's one experience in the kingdom of God, of your life. Has it been two? Make it one. Jesus made it one. And he lived it. Jesus walked away from competition. And what happened? He walked into a harvest field called Samaria. And the most unlikely person would meet him at the well. This wicked awful woman who I doubt even among the Samaritans in her house had a lot of esteem and a good reputation. Would you respect anybody who's had five life partners already and now living with someone who's not married, she's not married to? Would you like to listen to her give you some advice in your life? Hey, you're struggling in your marriage? You excited about getting married? Let me tell you something. I got something to say to you. You do? Yeah. I've had five husbands. Oh, and the one I have now is not my husband, but I got some good advice for you. <laughs> Would you stay there? Would you listen to her? Then you're not like Jesus. Because Jesus did. Now, Jesus had a message for her. So, I'll put that in context. That was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Jesus said, Woman, if you knew the gift of life and who it was talking to you, you would ask of me. And she did. And not only did she, but now I want to tell you how incredible this truth was in her life. Read the rest of the story. She goes back home and she tells her whole village and what does the village do? Laugh at her? Yeah, right, woman. I'm not going to go with you out to see this crazy man at the well. What are you talking about? 
No, they went. They went. And for the word of the woman were saved. Does God bring in a harvest for you like that? I tell you, my dear brother, sister, he does. And if you knew the gift of God, this truth be lived out in your life. If you knew the gift of God and you understood how crippled competition has made you, how blind, deaf, and dumb in the kingdom of God you've become because of not dealing with that spirit the way Jesus dealt with it. You're still soul distracted by people, moved by people, motivated by people. Your life is run by people instead of by the kingdom of God and its value. And I'm here to encourage you with this one word. Sell it all! Sell all of that! Rubbish it is! Sell it all for the kingdom of God. Sell all those attitudes. Sell it all. And come to God's kingdom like Jesus said it really is. A treasure for you and I. Rivers of living water will begin to flow. That's what this treasure in the field is. It's an artesian spring of living water. Eternal life. And if you knew it, you'd sell it all. And you'd quit comparing the price you pay. That's why I ended with Paul's example. And a few of these other examples. I'm just going to take a few more minutes. Because I wanted to give you these examples. To help you. Not to help you focus on other people. But. The Lord has preserved testimonies. Of Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Where he said, I count it all as rubbish in my life. For this one prize, Jesus Christ. And he said, whoever wants to be perfect, you must be this minded. That'll perfect you. There are many people throughout the history of our family. God's family. And God's kingdom. Who understood this truth. Who's seen it. who sold all. And have left their story. For you and I. And that is inspiring. I want to give you a few. I've been reading this book, The Preaching Priest. You can Google this man. His name was Martin Booz. B-O-O-S. He lived from 1762 to 1824. He was a Catholic priest. I want to read you a bit of his testimony. In a letter to a friend written more than 20 years after dated September, December 7th, 1811. By the way, in case you think God is doing something new and special in your life, read history. And you'll realize you're normal in God's family. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. Each generation just thinks it's new because they've forgotten what was experienced. He thus writes... You speak of me as a constant martyr, and so I've been. In early life, my sins made me a martyr. 
For a long time, I knew no Savior from them but myself. And when at latter period, I found a Savior, I was martyred by the consistories and Judaizers, who by threats, disputations, and exile, would have robbed me of my faith and my Savior. Other people who were esteemed as wise, spiritual, did this to him. They would have robbed me of my faith and my Savior. And this tragedy is kept up to the present time. You and I too. Add to this Satan and my own wicked, presumptuous, desponding heart. It is a miracle that I'm still alive. I feel myself dreadfully old, though I'm hardly 50. I once took immense pains as I speak a fact to be a very pious man. For example, for years together, even in winter, I lay on the cold floor. I scourged myself till I bled again. I fasted and gave my bread to the poor. I spent every hour I could spare in the church or the cemetery. I confessed. I took the sacrament almost every week. In short, I gained such a character for piety that I was appointed prefect of the congregation by the ex-Jesuits. But what a life I led. The prefect, with all his sanctity, became more and more absorbed in self. Melancholy, anxious, and formal. The saint was ever more exclaiming in his heart, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And no one replied. The grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. No one replied. No one gave the sick man that spiritual, specific, the just shall live by faith. And when I had obtained it and found the benefit of it, the whole world, with all its learning and spiritual authority, would have persuaded me that I had swallowed poison and was poisoning all around me. That I deserved to be hung, drowned, emerged, banished, or burnt. I knew not a more timorous mortal, timorous mortal than myself. And yet timid here as I am, the whole world dreads and opposes me. Nothing would gratify me more than to be at rest, unknown and unrenowned. But so it is. Few are more talked about than I in all quarters. Such in brief is the course of my life. When I am dead... Give the world my best wishes and say, the only specific I can bequeath for its maladies is the just shall live by faith. This has cured myself and others, but if it has no confidence in me and my prescription, I cannot help it. I tried as long as other people the notion that a man can be saved and justified by his own doings. But I have found in ancient document that we are to be justified and saved for Christ's sake without merits. And in this faith I shall die. 
If others will not make use of this bridge, they must wade through the stream, but let them see to it that they are not drowned. Now listen to this. The manner in which he was brought into a state of evangelical light and freedom is related in another letter written in prison in Lidditz, December 13th, 1815. I rejoice that after such a lapse of time and so many sufferings, you can still believe that Christ began this work in me, which to the world is so strange and offensive. It commenced in a very simple matter. This is how it happened, he says. In 1788 or 1789, this priest, who was very important in the church, esteemed, but inside was a wretched man. This priest, he says, I visited a sick person who was respected for her deep humility and exemplary piety. I said to her, you will die very peacefully and happily. Why so? She asked. Because you have led, I replied, such a pious and holy life. The good woman smiled at my words and said, If I leave the world relying on my own piety, I am sure I shall be lost. If you leave the world relying on your own piety, where you are on the race compared to others, you shall be lost. But relying on Jesus, my Savior, I can die in comfort. What a clergyman you are. What an admirable comforter. If I listened to you, what would become of me? How could I stand before the divine tribunal where everyone must give an account even of her idle words? Which of our actions and virtues would not be found wanting if laid in the divine balances? No, if Christ had not died for me, if he had not made satisfaction for me, I should have been lost forever, notwithstanding all my good works and pious conduct. He is my hope, my salvation, and my eternal happiness. Such is the account given by the good man of the beginning of his deep acquaintance with the mystery of the redemption by Jesus Christ. He found instruction Where he sought it not, the priest did. He didn't come to this woman for instruction. That's where he found it, a dying woman. He entered the house of affliction to console with, without knowing the true consolation. At first he was astounded and ashamed that what he, after all his studies, was ignorant of, should be taught him by a simple-hearted woman on her deathbed. Happily for him, he was humble enough not to reject the truth conveyed to him by so mean an instrument, but an indelible impression on his mind and formed the foundation of his future faith and life. I recommend this book for your reading, The Life and Testimony of the Preaching Priest, Martin Boos. Secondly, Lel knows this book probably quite well. Maybe some of you others do too. Experiencing the Death of Jesus Christ. A woman who was of no esteem, but very rich in this world, had married a rich, rich man, and a very important man. And then she became Christian. 
And she began to follow Jesus. And she spent the last 20 years of her life in prison. The castle in Paris. I think it was in Paris, right? No, it was somewhere in France. It was a French woman. That's right. It was. This is what she says. And I encourage you to pick up this book. Again, the change that the kingdom of God brought to this woman. And rather than now living in the comparison of the rich man's world, earthly, fleshly, and carnal, she was changed and entered into the kingdom of God. And just like Martin Booth suffered much persecution from it and eventually was killed. She says this, Jesus Christ is the eternal word. He and he alone is the source of new life to you. For you to have new life, he must be communicated to you. He can speak. He can communicate. He can impart new life. And when he desires to speak to you, he demands the most intense attention to his voice. Now you can see why the scripture so frequently urges you to listen, to be attentive to the voice of God. Here's how to begin to acquire this habit of silence. First of all, forget yourself. That it is lay aside all self-interest. Secondly, listen attentively to God. These two simple actions will gradually begin to produce in you a love of that beauty which is the Lord Jesus. The beauty that is inwrought in you by Him. The Lord is at the center of your being. Therefore, He must become the center of your being. But if you're taken up with other people... And life for you is still a competitive race. Like the rest of the world, that's what gets you excited. Watching competition, being in competition, that's what you live for. That's your passion. That's what you give your attention to. That's what motivates you. That's what gets you yelling and fired up. That's what gets you depressed and down under. That's what affects your life, dear brother, sister. There's hope for you. It's called repentance. The kingdom of God is right here. You can enter into it. Follow Jesus. Away from that life. Earthly life of jealousy and strife. Into the blessed life of Jesus Christ. Find the joy of the Lord. Is your focus. He lives in the center of your being. He now will become the center of your being. God bless you.